Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. St. Chuck Bryant. Hmm. Uh, and St. Jerome Roland is out there as well. I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner. Uh, and this is Stuff You Should Know. The first real episode of the new year. It is, Chuck. It's uh, beyond the future now. It's 2021. That's so futuristic. No one ever even used it in a, a sci-fi book. That's right. We we had our, uh, our what we like to call our elementary school Christmas break, mm-hmm. which means it's about three and a half weeks long. We work hard for that. We do. So you better treat us right. <laughs> that's, that's right, man. Uh, how was your holiday? Good? It was good. I, I finally got to just kind of disconnect and decouple and just relax. And it was nice. Actually, <laughs> I, went, I went the entire time without cracking my computer open. I was really proud of that. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like, I did stuff on my phone that I needed to, but I just, there was a ban on opening my laptops. Even just for funsies? Yeah. No porn. I didn't, I, I didn't want to. Right. <laughs> I didn't want to see uh, a, a computer or a keyboard for a little while, and wow. I was able to do it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I just did. The porn was all just like I just made drawings myself. <laughs> right. Flip books. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I love doing things on my laptop, but I was proud of myself for not looking at any work emails. Yeah. I did a little bit at first because there's you know some. Uh, buttoning up end of the year stuff, but then mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? And you know what I put is my. Uh, I mean, you've seen my occasional auto reply, right? Which is, uh, if it's an emergency, please realize that there are no podcast emergencies. <laughs> That's right. Which is sort of true. It, it's I think a hundred percent true, actually. Uh, and you got your slide whistle. I did. I don't have it with me right now, or else right. I ding. I'm well, we gotta, sorry. We got to debut the slide whistle later because I got to hear that thing. Yes, we do. Thank you for that. Did you get your gift from me? Uh, I did. Okay, good. <laughs> Just, I thought that that you would find that wildly appropriate, and it helped out our buddy too. That's right. Um, and so we're just going to wade into some easy peasy waters here. <laughs> okay. With hell. Hell. <laughs> This is tough, man. I was like, whose dumb idea was this? And I realized it was mine. Uh, so <laughs> I never forgot. Yeah, the COA here is is that, I mean, people like, uh, I think the Grabster helped us put this together. He said people make their entire careers out of just Dante's Inferno, right? much less concepts of hell. And uh, <laughs> it is very broad and dense and confusing. And so this is sort of a just a, a stuff you should know stab at it. Yeah, and let me just add to that, that we are in no way, shape, or form biblical scholars, theologians. No, We're going to get a lot of stuff wrong. Yes. We're probably going to walk right past interpretations that are popular Mm -hmm. and widely accepted. Correct. We're like, this is is just us talking about hell. So just relax. We already know we're going to hell. So there's nothing you can do (laughs) to us that's any worse. Um, So just calm down and enjoy the episode. How about that? Enjoy yeah. this episode about eternal conscious torment. Yeah, and if you are a, a scholar of Dante, just don't even listen. <laughs> yeah, you will literally puke into your cupped hands while you're listening to this on the train <laughs> yeah. because you're that polite. That's right. Go back and listen to the science of cute again. Um, wow, that was that was a reference to something that doesn't even exist yet. That's you okay. Heady. Yeah. <laughs> So, Chuck, I want to talk first. Um, I mentioned eternal 
conscious torment. And that is kind of like the, <laughs> the broad spectrum of what most people walking around today in the Western world, whether they're Christian or just familiar with the Christian concept of hell, think of hell. It's where your your soul is tormented, beaten up, bullied, um, maybe talked about behind its back, mm-hmm. uh, set on fire. Um and in this in this state, um, there's no dying. There's no death of the soul. The soul is immortal. So this this pain, this torment, this horribleness, just keeps going on forever and ever and ever. And that is that's that comes directly from Saint Augustine, uh, who kind of plays big into this concept of hell. But the idea that there's a immortal soul that it goes somewhere after death, and that depending on how it behaved here on earth. Um, it may or may not face eternal conscious torment. That is seriously, it's a theological term that they use today. That strikes some people, some theologians, as wildly disproportionate to the kinds of sins we're talking about here. Like, like you overindulged in fudge brownie mix during your time on earth means that you're going to be, uh, to just suffer mm. a literal, not, never-ending, infinite, eternal torment of damnation because you overindulged in brownie mix. That just doesn't quite jibe for some people. So there have been other alternatives that were posed many, many years ago that were actually around in some cases before eternal conscious torment came around um, that some people are saying like, hey, maybe this is a better interpretation of what's actually going on with hell. Are you familiar with those other interpretations? Well, which ones? Uh, Namely, uh, universalism and annihilationism. No. Mm. This was that thing that I was saying. We got to talk about these. So check this out. I'm gonna let me wow you for a second, okay? Okay. Because these are to me the softer, gentler versions of hell. One is that you the universalism. Another term is universal salvation, and it's this idea that there is an end. There's a there's a finite date to the to the torment, and that you're basically going to hell, depending on how badly you sinned. But over time, you can kind of work that sin off, Mm -hmm. and you will eventually come out the other end saved and go to heaven. Okay. And that that happens to everybody. Everyone is— is it can possibly go to heaven through this idea. The other is annihilationism, which makes a lot of sense too, if you believe in this kind of stuff, that um, the people who are saved— the righteous, the virtuous, people who are going to go to heaven, they go on to heaven after they die. Everybody else just ceases to exist. They're annihilated upon death. There's no hell, but there's no heavenly reward for those people. I like those a lot more than eternal conscious torment. The thing is, eternal conscious torment is so uh, gripping yeah. that it's it's like, this is this is this is just what people think of when they think of hell. And apparently, if you're an evangelical in particular, and you believe in anything but eternal conscious torment, you're 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 flirting with being shunned by your peers because you're you're going in the face of orthodoxy. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a lot to unpack. I know you grew up uh, fairly Catholic, and yeah. I regret how many times I've had to say the word Baptist on this show. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of people taking a shot right now. <laughs> if this is the stuff you should know, drinking game. Yeah, but I can't not mention that growing up Baptist, it's a very, uh, you know, it's a very fiery, brimstony 
um, religion. And it's um, I, I very much grew up with the concept, this very sort of uh, tropey concept of <laughs> heaven is this, um, you know, lovely place where God lives. It's in the up there in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And you go up. And then if you're not good, then you go down mm-hmm. to somewhere, I guess, in the center of the earth where the devil lives mm-hmm. and where Satan pokes you and where you are, you know, there's lakes of fire. And it's all very scary. And, and you know, it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I realized that these are stories told to get children in line. <laughs> yeah. And not just children, adults who yeah. go on to continue to believe in hell, you know, and, and to subscribe to this stuff. For sure, it's definitely a way to keep people in line. But the the concept of hell generally and the concept of souls, uh, and this is probably no surprise to most um, sort of critical thinkers, but, it, you know, the, the idea of being worm dirt and after you die, that's just it, is a lot to take on as you approach that day. Yeah. So it it is really it makes a lot of sense I think that people from very early on started to think about the concept of a soul um a self that lived on um and you know it just makes sense that there's a, a quote good place and a bad place. Yeah, but the thing is is apparently it doesn't seem to have necessarily been just like part and parcel from from what Ed's saying and from what I saw elsewhere in the research is, is that Heaven seemed to have developed first very right. early on. Yes. And then there was a real emphasis on symmetry in the ancient and, and like pre-modern world, where if you had one, you had the opposite in equal proportions. Right. So eventually over time, that kind of was like, well, if there's this really lovely place that's like paradise uh, after you die, then there has to be the opposite of that, the antithesis right. of that too. And that's where this development of hell came from. But the fact that hell wasn't hasn't always been around or as long as, you know, the idea of the afterlife. And then the idea that it wasn't ever, it hasn't always been this place where you're, you were subject to the most cruel kinds of punishments right. available to, to the human imagination. Yeah, for overeating. Right, yeah. Um, that that's not, that's not as old as, as the idea of the afterlife either. That, that was really surprising to me, but it's, it's pretty neat because it's weird. It's almost like humanity got infected by a germ of real um, meanness mm-hmm. and in darkness that we're still living with today and that you can kind of trace it in, in the evolution of our idea of hell as well. Right. Or to the uh, beginnings of Twitter. <laughs> that's, that's right. So uh, That's evil incarnate. Uh, it depends on what religions you're talking about, but virtually every religion has some sort of afterlife concept um, early, uh, early Judaism, of course, certainly does. If you read back, um, Ed described something from the Sumerian underworld where they, they kind of more talk about hell as uh, – or the afterlife, I guess, as just sort of boring. Yeah. Uh, and there wasn't – you know, you didn't go to a fiery place where you're tormented. Um, they talk about, you know, being thirsty and eating dust, certainly unpleasant. Yeah. Um, but then this idea starts where – you can be in a better place in the afterlife according to what you've achieved on earth, but not necessarily good deeds at first. Like if you're really rich, then you're going to go to a good place because your family could afford to bury you with 
food and drink and jewels and gold and stuff like that to carry with you to the the other side. And that would put you in a much better standing. But Mm -hmm. again, this is not like I was a good person. This is just I died rich. So all these really valuable things they could put underground and bury with me. Right. But in the same way, too, the living could care for you. They could you might not be rich, but your family might care so much about you that they come on every Sunday sure. or whatever they called Sundays back when the Sumerians were running around um, and bring you like a little food and a little uh, beer or something like that. Yeah. And and they were you know, sustaining you in this place where everybody else was eating dust and dirt, but your family so loved you because you've been such a good person during your time while you were alive that they were coming and, and bringing you like bread and beer. Um, and in that sense also, Chuck, it's really kind of poetic because you, that person, are living on in the memories of your family after you died yeah. because they're coming and keeping your memory alive by bringing you bread and beer and all that. And so in that way, you are living on in this kind of immortal means as well. But the converse of that is really disturbing and that if you don't inspire people right. to care about you afterwards, like you really cease to exist. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's no one on earth who's thinking of you or honoring you. And in that sense, if there is no afterlife, you, you, that is annihilation. That is true oblivion. What Disney or Pixar movie is it? I saw it recently that has to do with oh, this. It's uh, brutal. Um, like you're being erased and, until you're remembered after death. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. <laughs> no, it's not. No, I know that. it's called like Inside Out, maybe? No, that's the one about the emotions, which is right. equally brutal. Yeah. I don't think that's but, the well, one I thought her. Of. I thought the kid's, like, imaginary friend was being em- erased or demolished. And they oh, was it. that in that movie? I think so, yeah. Remember the elephant that was, like, uh, George Clooney's friend? Richard Wait, Are we something? on acid right now? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly seems that way. Oh, uh, I can't remember. And this is officially marks the first uh, podcast of the year where people are screaming at us. Which is coincidentally the first <laughs> podcast of the year that we recorded. That's right. Um, I think it's Egypt, ancient Egypt, where the first, uh, the first idea of like um, this, this weird sort of afterlife uh, – judgment panel sort of mm-hmm. steps in yeah. where, you know, there are people like literally in charge of this thing, almost like a bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And there's an administration and it's it sounds a little bit more like Sammy Davis Jr.'s uh, sitcom pilot that failed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. She-Devil? I don't remember. I It definitely wasn't She-Devil. That was it wasn't She-Devil. It, it was something like that, though. Yeah, but it was that was pretty good. <laughs> the show was? <laughs> I mean, the, the like, one-minute trailer I saw made yeah. it seem pretty good. <laughs> um, but this, you know, the ancient Judaism sort of overlaps with some of this stuff. But Judaism, is a, it's, a, it's a whole different thing because, you know, they have the references. There's a lot of references to things that were later just sort of rewritten and retranslated as hell, mm-hmm. which makes it really confusing if you look at ancient texts. Yeah, Judaism had Sheol— um, which is, <clears throat> it kind of follows in that same tradition uh, from the, the pre-Christian era that, like, when you died, there was an afterlife and there wasn't much to it. It wasn't But it's bad. not a place, it wasn't, right? It wasn't particularly pleasant. Yeah, apparently to the, to the, the early Jews, they were, they were basically saying, like, this is, it's the state of mind after death right. more than like a, a yeah, a interdimensional, like physical place that exists outside of this world. Not like a realm, but yeah, like you're saying like a, uh, yeah, like a, 
I guess a state of mind if, as far as, as that as that goes, but it also suggests that you still have a mind after you die. Well, and it also suggests that, um, I mean, there's a little bit of the punishment and reward, but it's not necessarily you go to the fiery place or you go to heaven. It's a little more of a spiritual connection. Like if you did good on earth, mm-hmm. you're going to spend your afterlife a little closer to God. If you're not such a great person, you're going to be, you know, a little further away from God. Right, right. But but overall, the point of Sheol was that no matter what you did on earth, no matter who you were, good person, bad person, doesn't matter, you were going to go to the same place. And even at the time, apparently, they realized that this was unjust. There's like a part of, I think, Ecclesiastes that says that the fact that there are that everybody goes to the same place no matter how good or bad you are in life. This is the injustice that is done under the sun. The same fate comes to everyone. Right. Which I didn't realize that Ecclesiastes rhyme, but it's got a nice <laughs> nice beat to it, nice tempo. Does It doesn't all rhyme, does it? I don't think so. I was kind of surprised that any of it rhymed. But there's that. that's a really important point, Chuck, that um, to these ancient— uh, people, whether they were the early Jews or the Canaanites or, um, or or the Egyptians, there was there was not punishment in the afterlife. God punished you during life, like you you right. were suddenly you know like blind or something like that. That was punishment from God. As we kind of evolved away from that, the idea that God had a direct daily hand in our lives as a as a, a species, that punishment moved to the afterlife rather than during this life. Right, which is not recognized in Judaism, of course, as New Testament stuff. No, and there was something else that stuck out to me as we'll, we'll kind of see in a second. Judaism seems to have been developed as a, a religion um, as as contrary to some of the other religious beliefs that were around. Like they seem to have really kind of opposed the Canaanites. The Canaanites were into child sacrifice. They um, they Ooh. had uh, multiple gods. Um, and the the Jews kind of played off of that. Like some of these, these devils that we understand today, demons like Moloch and Baal, you know, <laughs> B-A apostrophe A-L, um, those were actually Canaanite gods. And they kind of perverted the, the pronunciation of them to kind of mock them or make them seem other or different. Um, And you think like, oh, that's not very nice. That's one religion disparaging another. But at the same time, uh, the the early Jews were saying like, also, we shouldn't be sacrificing children. Like, that's not not a good thing to do. Let's practice this other thing instead. So I'm I'm kind of a fan of the the, uh, of early Judaism, it turns out. I had no idea. You should convert. I just might. Should we take a break? I think we should. All right. Let's take a break. We'll read up a little bit on whether or not you're allowed to convert. Okay. Because I don't even know. And then we'll be back right after this. Have you converted? I looked it up. I'm not allowed to. It (laughs) would require me to be religious. Oh, well, interesting. Yeah. Uh, So we talked a little bit about the sort of the confusion of, I mean, a lot of the confusion in what we think of as hell lies in 
um, just these these texts, some Hebrew text and translations and mm-hmm. mistranslations and stories that are told, you know, the old game of uh, telephone that happened throughout the years <laughs> while these things were passed on. So there's a lot of things that, you know, over the years that you've th- thought of sort of as a generic hell, like Hades, uh, which was Greek, the Greek underworld, yeah. um, also synonymous with the Sheol, but not hell. Uh, there's Tartarus. Uh, that's yeah. in the Old Testament, also from the Greeks. That more closely resembles hell from what I could tell. Yeah, and that's like a part of the underworld where gods imprison enemies. Um, there is like punishment. It's fiery. And maybe that concept, like a lot of this, what we're doing is sort of unpacking what we think of as hell now and sort of where this stuff came from. And it right. seems like Tartarus is uh, is definitely one of those places. Yeah, and like Hades and Sheol more closely resemble purgatory um, or limbo, uh, where Tartarus, yeah, is, is definitely hell, hell. Like that's where <laughs> torment and fire is. And all, all this stuff, this really kind of uh, like popped up to me. It's like, wow, this is like our, our what we think of as hell today, even like the cartoon hell with like the, mm-hmm. the pitchfork and the fire and all that stuff. The fun like, one. This is some ancient stuff that it's built on. Yeah. Over eons, you know, like the earliest people who started burying their dead because they thought like maybe there was a life afterward and it just kind of evolved from that kernel and more and more civilizations came along and added to it and subtracted to it and said, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And let's go to war over this. Like hell is like this hammered steel drum that's been hammered out by you know, millennia of, of people and cultures, and it sounds pretty good. Yeah, I thought you were about to say by John Bonham. <laughs> Did he play a steel drum? No, but it just, it, you sound, it sounded like the intro to a Led Zeppelin song there for a second. <laughs> um, Gehenna is something else we should mention. This is another yeah. kind of quote-unquote hell, um, but this was a real place. It was a literal place near Jerusalem mm-hmm. where it sounds like it was kind of a uh, some sort of ancient uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Not necessarily a uh, – where, where do you take all the trash? We uh, did an episode about it. Land, landfill. Yeah, sort of a landfill on fire. Okay, that's one interpretation. Which is a great record title, I think. Landfill on fire. <laughs> yeah, why not? But this is where they like would take stuff to burn. Um, trash, basically. And uh, there might have also been child sacrifice happening there because I guess they figured, well, there's a fire already happening, Mm -hmm. so we won't have to start one. Um, It depends on what source you're looking at. But it became a metaphorical hell where a place that was on fire, you could be sent there. It was a place of judgment. You could be cast unto it. Uh, And that's (laughs) that's in the New Testament, of course. Yeah. Um, So that's another sort of uh, Hades-like I guess, usage that just makes it all the more confusing. Yeah, but again, like, like you know, as we're getting further and further along and deeper and deeper into Christianity, which we haven't quite hit yet when Gehenna was first introduced, because I think that's Jewish, right? Uh, it's like a Jewish— Yeah, I think so, even though it is in the New Testament, um, which is even more confusing. Right, but it kind of shows you how, like, connected, like, these these civilizations and groups were right. over the ages, you know, that this still popped up. Well, just borrowing things from one another. Exactly. But then as these translations, you know, kind of go on over the centuries and there's newer and different versions of the Bible and the New Testament and the Old Testament, like, uh, you know, all of these things just become this generic hell, which kind of opens it up to 
making hell this big, huge, amorphous place where, oh, it's like this, but it's also like this, and it's like that. And by naming everything just hell and losing that kind of the ethnicity involved, the the Christians were able to kind of wholesale adopt all of these ancient traditions and conceptions of hell into their own version of hell. And this is the Christian hell— Whereas if you kind of start poking behind it, you're like, oh, this is this Christian hell is made up of all these other conceptions of hell along the way. So as far as like uh, – and I love that Ed calls this section the topology of hell. <laughs> but that's sort of you know a big part of it is um, – and we mentioned a little bit heaven as this place where God lives that's above you up in the sky mm-hmm. because it's pretty. No one really knows exactly where all that comes from, but it all does make sense um, that – you know, you look to the skies when you pray, you look up when you're talking to God. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then it makes sense that, like you said, with the symmetry, that there is another place. We bury the dead underground. It makes sense that there would be a place that's deep and dark and fiery, uh, I guess, you know, cave-like, deep underground. That stuff is scary. So it makes sense that hell just sort of became this place that's, uh, for lack of a better word, under our feet somewhere. Yeah, and what was interesting to me is that, like, disconnected um, groups and cultures, not just geographically, but through time as well, all had that same conception that, like, hell was underground Mm -hmm. and heaven was somewhere above us or in the sky. Um, Like, the Mayans had a place called Shibalba, which is, like, I guess translates to a place of fear. And that is when you die, you start out there and it's underground and it's hellish and scary and you have to work your way up basically into the sky to paradise. Um, And Sheol was underground. It was connected to the grave. And that seems to be where this idea also, not just that heaven was in the sky, so hell must be underground, but also that there has to be some connection underground because we've been burying people or at least putting our dead in, you know, deep, dark caves for at least 130,000 years from what I've seen, but um, it may even go back before that. Neanderthals, I think, buried their dead even. So it's a really kind of ancient impulse to like put your dead underground or in some some underground subterranean place like a cave chamber. So of course that would be connected to the afterlife in some way. But it is interesting that it's like, as far as I can tell, there's not a single culture that's like, oh, yeah, that's where heaven is, is underground. Yeah, and it's like I find myself saying, well, it makes sense because you climb your way out of hell with good works toward heaven. Like, it's sort of a chicken or the egg thing. Like, it makes sense to me, but it only makes sense because that's the way it's always been framed. Yeah, there's a few thousand years of culture behind that, that way that you were raised or I was raised, you know? Yeah, so you mentioned purgatory. Um, this is a realm of the afterlife. Uh, purgatory is um, it's like a waiting room where you are waiting to be judged. Um, it is not – it's not like a great place. It's not like an awesome waiting room with like the, the best magazines. It's more like the waiting room with um, – Boys' highlights. life and highlights. No, right. <laughs> Nothing but highlights and boys' life and all of the puzzles are already filled out. Yeah. Or, oh, man, the worst is any doctor's office where it's nothing but, like, medical and health magazines. Yeah. It's like no one wants to read bad. that stuff in there. No. No, they don't. You want to read a three-year-old Sports Illustrated. Right. And everybody else in the waiting room is not wearing a mask. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> it's, a, it's the 2020 version of hell. Dude, that's my new nightmare. I've, yeah. I'm having those about three times a week. 
I don't like this. Where I'm being descended upon. They're, they seem like zombies, but they're just people without masks. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's weird. Potato, potato. But you know what's funny? Has this happened to you where you, where you watch like movies or TV shows or something yeah, pre-COVID? And sure. It's like you're way too close to that person. Get <laughs> <No>. back. <laughs> like we have been changed, man, possibly forever. Oh, I think you'd be surprised how quickly we'll forget. I hope so. <laughs> I oh, man, too. I hope so. I hope this all just becomes like some bad dream that just fades over time. I know. My mom's getting vaccinated this Saturday. Good for her, Jack. She needs to do it live on Instagram or something. Yeah, she was like, you know, do, should I have any reservations? I was like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and she's like, well, then, I mean, I have to wait in line. You're like, oh, right. those reservations. Well, yes, yeah, sure. make reservations. <laughs> yeah, make reservations. <laughs> Resies. Uh, but, yeah, stuck, being stuck in purgatory is not a good thing. Um, so it's not, it's not hell, but it's not someplace where you want to be. That's why people, you know, use that term now, like I'm in purgatory. Yeah, and there's something about purgatory that I hadn't really realized is it's not interchangeable with limbo. When you go into limbo, you're there yeah. forever. Like, that's where you spend eternity, it, sometimes by no fault of your own. Like, this is where people who lived before Christ ever existed um, go after they die because they can't possibly have been Christians. So, they're not being punished, but they're not being rewarded right. by, you know, in heaven. It's kind of mean. Purgatory is a place where— you, I guess, have to have been a Christian, but maybe a lapsed Christian, a Christian who sinned, something like that, to where you can you can work it off and and you know go on to heaven. And that's kind of that universalism or universal salvation idea. It's like that's all there is to hell is purgatory, where you can work it off over time and and be saved. And then it also really jibes too with this idea, Chuck, of um of the Buddhist hell. Basically, the Buddhists have a concept of hell where I think called Naraka, which is also a Hindu concept. But um, there's this this idea that you're you're there for very in, – in each of these hells, you have to go through these hells. And your lifetime there is uh, very specific. Like your, your lifetime in this hell is 1.62 trillion years. And then the next hell is like, you know, a quadrillion years or something like that. Um, but you eventually work your karma off on earth. And it bears a real striking resemblance, this Buddhist hell, to some, you know, Christian and, and Jewish interpretations of hell. Or I should say some Christian interpretations of hell where you can work off your bad deeds and then go on to nirvana or heaven. That's because they all borrowed from one another. It's really—I mean, that's basically the fact of the podcast is that there's a lot of um, incestuous interchange between <laughs> the religions. Overlap. That's another way to put it. Uh, what I think is also interesting is the concept of temperature in hell. Um, it's a very big deal. You always think of, of fire and heat and sweatiness, but that is not always the case. There are frozen hells um, aside from, you know, the Dakotas. Uh, <laughs> that Naraka you were talking about, I think that's a frozen hell, right? Yeah, there's eight hot hells and eight cold hells and the mm -hmm. eight cold hells are like in this one your skin starts to blister in this one it's so cold that the blisters break and then it just keeps going from there like all these horrible things happen to you from being exposed to the cold yeah it's very interesting I guess it's uh, just sort of a variation of the same thing like something really cold can burn you yeah but I mean it, it really kind of gives you this idea Chuck there's like so much thought has been given to 
all the little horrible details of hell. And I wonder, like, what what that satisfies. Like, can you just be like, okay, we all believe that there's a hell and it's a horrible place, as bad as you can imagine. Just go with that. What What was the purpose of going into all this detail? I think this. It, I think the specificity. If if hell and the and sins on earth are to be punished in the afterlife, mm-hmm. to me it would make sense that there would be a great specificity put forward so people know exactly how bad it is. Yeah. Uh, in order to inform their deeds on earth. Yeah. Like it's not just. Hey, it's a bad place. You don't want to go there. It's like mm, it's a place where your skin will melt off, and you will be, you know, you'll have to push this fireball around for eternity, or whatever, you know. Yeah, and the person's like, "Fireball? That sounds terrible." You're like, "I was okay with <laughs> with this thing, but mm, maybe I should <laughs> I guess, be a better person." I guess I won't steal this car after all. But it's all like fear stuff, and that you know that existed right through my religion, you know, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. still exists today. Do you remember roughly how old you were when you were like, oh, I don't actually believe this anymore. I'm free. Uh, it started in sort of mid-ish high school, but I was still sort of doing this stuff and hanging with certain crowds. Certain crowds? <laughs> Do you mean like the opposite of certain crowds? <laughs> no, you know, going to like Young Life and, uh, right. and, and FCA and stuff like that. Into early college and the big transformation, I think I mentioned this before, was when I took a religion class in college. Mm-hmm. And I did learn that so much of this stuff is kind of all the same and borrowed from one another. And that is antithetical to grow up in the Christian Baptist church where they're like, no, 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 this is the only truth. Everyone else is wrong. Right. And then when I said, well, wait about what about all these other religions that are really, really similar? They're like wrong. Yeah, so I had a that was a a big reckoning, and then it was just sort of gradual from there. Your comparative religion class was taught by Professor Lewis Seifer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, he had a he had a heck of a ponytail. I just remember that (laughs) (laughs) Lewis Seifer. I thought that was really clever back when I saw that movie. Yeah, and looking back, it's pretty dumb. Wasn't it Angel Heart? Yeah. I mean, good yeah. enough movie, very much of its time. But I remember mm-hmm. thinking that Lewis Cipher thing was like, whoa. <laughs> right, right. There's a restaurant, I think, in like D.C. maybe? Lewis Cipher's? Yes. And I'm funny. like, that's that's an unusual choice to base your <laughs> restaurant franchise on Satan, you know? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Should we take another break? Yeah, let's. All right. More judgment and punishment coming up right after this. <laughs> Okay, Chuck, you promised judgment, you promised punishment. Let's let's lay it on us. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, this is like you mentioned earlier in the Old Testament, like God directly punished people. Mm-hmm. You could be smited or blinded or whatever. Uh, and the New Testament is when things got a little more organized and it was literally like here's the sections of hell. If you did this, you go here. If you did this on earth, you go there. Um, and a lot of this is informed by writers um, and and not even like biblical scholars, like people like Plato. Right. Um, and a lot of these stories, again, are really, really similar. There's a story from Plato's Republic 
where a man named Er, uh, E-R, uh, goes into a coma, mm-hmm. uh, journeys through the underworld, and then wakes up and then tells everyone what happened down there. And this has a, a lot of reward and punishment included and mm-hmm. a really organized system. And there are a lot of stories really similar to that um, throughout time that, you know, I don't know if they were based on Plato or uh, or the Republic or just like we've been talking about, sort of overlap and incestuous. I think you can make the case that they were based on Plato because Plato, he wasn't the first to come up with the idea of the immortal soul and um, there, there being like judgment and torment, you know, potentially afterward, if not reward. Um, but he really kind of... Um, boosted it, I guess. He signal boosted the idea of an <laughs> eternal soul and possible damnation. Um, and he directly influenced uh, St. Uh, Augustine. Augustine, yeah. And Augustine uh, definitely influenced some of these later guys like Drithelm and Tundale um, and their idea of hell. But Augustine was influenced by, by Plato. And Augustine had the other distinction along with... Um, I think Augustine and St. Gregory were really kind of big time into that eternal damnation idea. But Augustine also was the one who basically said, this is orthodoxy. This is the correct interpretation right. of the scripture. If you don't believe it, we we are fine with inflicting violence upon you. That same tradition of what you were saying where this is the only truth and anybody who believes anything else is wrong, that finds its source at the very least, it finds its early popularity from St. Augustine. Yeah. So this idea of uh, 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 eternal damnation, and if you don't believe in that, you're wrong, that kind of finds its its place in the early Christian church in, I think, the 5th century. And so you do have these guys who came later, like Drithelm and Tundale, who had nothing to do with Scripture, but their their experiences where basically they died and came back to life and said, there's a hell and it's awful. Right really kind of informed our idea of what hell is like. And it seems to be based a lot on this, these ideas by Augustine, who got his ideas from Plato, who got his ideas <laughs> right. from God knows who. God does know who. <laughs> That's true. Uh, if you really want to drill down, though, to um, where we get uh, many, many of our ideas of what we think of as hell is Dante, of course, who we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not even know Dante's last name until uh, – until we research this, but it's uh, and there's going to be some great Italian coming up, everyone. Come on! But uh, Dante Alighieri, very nice. in his Divine Comedy and uh, specifically um, Inferno. Uh, Dante's Inferno is is really um, really where we get a lot of what we think of as hell today comes from Inferno, as far as and people even say without even knowing like oh the eighth circle of hell and stuff right. like that right like i've been guilty of saying that my whole life and not really understanding what the heck that even meant but what's interesting too is so dante wrote the the inferno well he wrote the divine comedy um in the early 1300s i guess it took him 15 years mm-hmm. um and so this is the 1300s, and he writes about these nine circles of hell, the nine concentric circles of hell. Like, that is a really ancient concept, even though he divided it and, like, really um, enunciated all of the different distinctions in a really popular way. Uh-huh. Um, like, that, that's really old. Like, think of that uh, Naraka. There's eight hot, hot 
hells. There's eight cold hells. There's like this idea of different stages. Like the Mayans even had this idea where you progress through these different stages up the tree of life from that uh, that dark underworld. Um, That's a really ancient idea. But yeah, Dante was definitely the one who you would credit with this, you know, coming up with it, even though it's totally wrong. Yeah, and it's also important to remember when Dante wrote this stuff, it was in the, it was the last 15 years of his life, and this was after he battled the Pope and the Catholic Church and was exiled from Florence. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this stuff is just reeks of sort of uh, having a bone to pick and like, hey, the things that happened to me, like they're going to be slotted in. Like and, and, and it's almost like uh, like using his own experience to to create the symbolism of like this is what happened to me and that makes you the worst person if you did these things exactly like I'm going to put you in hell in my book yeah and I'm sure some of those people were alive and like hey man don't don't put me in hell like this is not you can't do that and he's like I just did <laughs> <laughs> you know here's an ice cube have fun. So he, um, Dante, one of his big things and that I think uh, made his work so famous too was he um, really got into contrapasso. You want to take that? No, that was great. Um, I didn't even pinch my fingers and thumb together. <laughs> uh, and contrapasso is basically this this poetic eye for an eye where, you know, if you if you do this on earth, if you sin in this way, your punishment is going to be some poetic justice. Yeah. Um, in the afterlife. And that was the whole point of of hell, as far as Dante was concerned. It was where God got justice for things that were done wrong here on earth. Right. And I, apparently it said as much over the gate of hell. Um, it said, Giudizia mose il mio alto fattore, which means justice moved my high maker, um, which is basically saying like, this is what this place is for, is to get justice. And there's also a very famous um, inscription over the gates of hell, abandon all hope ye who enter here. Yeah. And that came from uh, Dante's Inferno as well. Oh, is that what that's from? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's good stuff. It really is. It was also used to great effect in boondock saints. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Dante and Virgil are, um, before they even go to hell, they have to cross the river uh, Acheron and deal with uh, Sharon, the boatman, which is, you know, I think this has been used a million times, too, mm-hmm. in literature and pop culture, mm-hmm. like this this uh, boat person that has to transport someone across this river to a different place. Right. Sometimes you have to pass a test, um, you know, like Monty Python style, basically. <laughs> and that's so weird. Right as I said that, I just looked up to our Aaron Cooper special Monty Python oh, yeah. Photoshop poster. Where I'm King Arthur and you are one of the knights, and Strickland is in there too. Yeah, isn't he like the page with the coconuts? Yeah, and there who else is that over there? Now I'm looking at a picture of me face punching uh, George Lucas. George Lucas. <laughs> you haven't been in this room in a while, have you? No, no, but I remember it pretty well. It's burned in your brain after twelve <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, so where was I? You were talking about the River Sticks and or. Uh, Archer on her and yeah, the which boatman. is might as well be the river sticks, right? Right, but it is. It's like straight up taken from the Greeks, and yet this devout Christian Dante is is writing about it like this the Christian hell, and it really kind of goes to to show you just how much literary license he took with this. Well, and how much um, he borrowed from the Greeks because 
uh, like you, you would think this is probably the Christian stance on on hell, and it's mm-hmm. not. Um, like for instance, Dante sees uh, thinks that it's a virtue uh, if you're have moderation in your life. Right. Like you don't want to be too spendy and greedy. You also don't want to be too miserly. But that's not a Christian thing at all. Like that's not in the Ten Commandments. It's not one of the seven deadly sins or anything like that. No, there's gluttony, but miserliness is not in there. Right. right? Yeah. So he's definitely just saying this is this is what I, Dante, think. But I, I guess it just hit a nerve because, I mean, like, like we were saying at the outset, like this is – this is just this is basically what people think of when they think of hell these days, if not the fire and the red pitchfork and all that. All right. So first circle, limbo. Okay. Not purgatory. No. Like we mentioned. Uh this is where you can uh like it's it's not terrible, but it is hell and it's sort of unfair. Like you said, uh you know, if you're not like you could just be born before Christ and you could be in limbo. Right. Like Aristotle's there. Aristotle was great and virtuous and one of the greatest thinkers the world's ever produced, yet he's stuck in limbo because he existed before Christ, so couldn't possibly be saved. So what's next? Lust is next. Okay. And this is pretty interesting, too, in that, um, you know, some other people who had uh, seen visions of hell, like the, the, you know, medieval knights we talked about earlier, they're talking about like, you know, oh, yeah, they— they um, nail your sack to a board with rusty nails or just really juvenile stuff. Dante goes a lot more poetic in that his idea of lust is, is uh, their punishment for lust is, you know, lovers are blown about by the wind so that they can never quite get together. And they're always, you know, kept just just out of each other's reach, which is, you know, it's, it's a lot more poetic than, than the other one. Did you say version. nail your sack to a board? <laughs> yeah. Like your backpack? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, third circle is gluttony. Uh, here you're stuck in the mud, and yeah. it's you're being pummeled by hail and freezing rain. Right. And um, this is a, where he got a little bit of his bone to pick out on Florence and uh, what a terrible place that was. Um, the fourth circle is where we get into the greed and the miserly um, – Basically, um, it's the circle of immoderation, like don't go too far in either direction. Yeah, and he really kind of plays into that symmetry as well, where on the one side are the people who are super gluttonous and like they spend just tons of money. And then on the other side, there are the people who are super stingy and hoard their money. They're really two sides of the same coin. I think Dante is correct in that sense. And so they're both in that same circle of hell, but on opposite sides of the circle. The next so circle. Balance. Number five. Anger. Is that, yeah, that's that's for uh, those of us uh, who are, um, uh, who get road rage will be <laughs> okay. eventually. That's where I'm going to be, unfortunately. All right, and you're in the river sticks in that case. Yeah, just sloshing around, being like, I'm so mad about everything. Uh, circle number six, everyone. Feels like a Dave Letterman top ten. <laughs> it does all of a sudden. Uh, these are heretics. These are pagans. These are atheists. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are people who, while they were on Earth, were like, "Hey, I'm just going to have a good time while I'm here. I'm not worried about salvation." Yeah, and Epicurus in particular is there, and I was like, "Why Epicurus?" And apparently, uh, he very much and his followers did not believe in any kind of afterlife, which is why they're like, "Make the most of your time here on Earth." I guess that's where I am. Yeah. Um, it's basically another way to interpret that is that these were people who sowed discord by 
injecting alternative ideas in, into the believers' minds. All right. Well, maybe I'm not there then. Um, no. Like, also, if you if you don't believe in an afterlife and you're enjoying your time here on Earth, you you go there. Either way. Okay. <laughs> you're screwed either way. <laughs> well, at least we'll be there together. Um, we also, I don't think we mentioned that Virgil, the poet Virgil, um, is the one who's guiding Dante around. Yeah. Uh, through these these things, and I guess it's kind of acting as like his um, uh, um, oh, what is the name of the Chauffeur? guy from New York Dolls and Scrooged? Oh, Buster Poindexter. David, yeah, Johansson. He's acting as Dante's Buster Poindexter. Okay. <laughs> um, and so Virgil's escorting him around. They get to uh, the seventh circle of hell, um, which contains the uh, the city of Dis, which Dis or is Dis in the sixth? No, I think, I think this is— It's in the sixth. Is it? Yeah, it Okay, is yeah, because, yeah, because in the seventh comes after. Yeah, after so the, and so a lot of, a lot of people um, kind of chop up these circles of hell into the first through third, the second through the sixth, and the seventh through the ninth. And apparently Dante considered basically the first through the sixth as all kind of generally in the same category, which was they were sins of incontinence where um, people just— couldn't resist the earthly temptations. Yeah. They, they had a weakness of will. They're, you know, they're being tormented because they made these choices. But also, this is really, it's it's forgivable stuff. Seven through nine is where who he considers the the genuine sinners, the evil people reside. Yeah, this is where arsonists and murderers, um, that he actually framed, you know, suicide as one of these uh, in that seventh circle. Mm-hmm. Um, the eighth circle, and you know, this is it gets a little confusing because then there are smaller pockets within these circles, right? Uh, and again, if you're a scholar of Dante, just I'm so 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 sorry. Yeah, hopefully they turned this off I a while so. back. Yeah. Uh, but the eighth circle is for ten kinds of fraud, and then the ninth circle is finally where Satan is, and. This is for for Satan and as the lead traitor, basically, um, not traitor, but traitor, right? Uh, which is you know, this is a big one for me. I mean, a, a, as a Pisces uh, fan of Black Sabbath, fan of Black Sabbath, like loyalty and um, is very important. Broken trust is to oh, me like one of the worst things someone can do. Sure, and so I didn't realize that was Piscean in nature. Yeah, pretty Piscean. Okay. Very loyal, very uh, friendships and relationships are sort of at the utmost importance. Uh-huh. And to be betrayed is like just kind of the worst thing you can do. Gotcha. So this is this would be your your you'd really enjoy this. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's my eighth circle. Um, but it's interesting in that Satan, the ultimate traitor to God, is stuck there, but could get out um, in theory if right. Satan just realized. That like, hey, I'm beneath God and I can recognize God as being above me uh, and I'm not God's equal. Um, And it's a frozen – it gets a little confusing, but it's a frozen lake. It's a little antithetical to what we think about as Satan as being fiery because what happens is the lake would thaw and free Satan if he wasn't flapping his big bat wings to try and fly up to God to -hmm. prove he's his equal. But instead of Satan's wings – I guess throwing forth like fire, which you would think, it mm-hmm. actually, I guess, is icy, and it yeah, just the, keeps that lake frozen. Right. 
But if he would just, yeah, if he'd just give up, then he'd stop beating his wings and, and it, it would, would melt. fall, right? Yeah. And then he would be free, but then he just wouldn't be Satan anymore. You know what I mean? Sure. He'd be a broken version of Satan, and who wants that? That's right. Then we wouldn't have Sammy Davis Jr.'s TV pilot. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's not like our idea of hell just ended at Dante. Everybody's like, yep, that's it. Don't need to add to it. Like, plenty of people have over time. One of the coolest I've seen— I cannot remember what it was, but I suspect it was an Aeon Flux mm. um, cartoon. On Remember Liquid TV sure. on MTV? Oh, yeah. I think somehow Aeon Flux ended up in hell, and like this, the the weird conception of it was just so unsettling. Everything was just so off. It was really well done. Now I'll have to go like see if I can find it. All I could find was that Aeon Flux, the movie, sucked. That's all you can find when you search Aeon Flux in hell right now. Uh-huh. But um, I really want to find that again. If I do, I'll have to tweet it out. Yeah, I mean, you could do a whole second podcast episode on popular versions of hell and pop culture and movies and TV and literature, uh, mm-hmm. paintings. Hirona Musbash is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those paintings. This was a yeah. couple of centuries after Inferno. But these are the ones that look like sort of indie folk album covers. Yeah. Um, they're great. Very cool stuff. Uh, and, you know, like I said, there's scores of versions of hell from Clive Barker to Marvel Comics to to – Sammy Davis Jr. in The Good Place. <laughs> right. They're all over the place. So it's definitely something that's like, I don't know, it's just weirdly uh, captured pop culture's imagination just as much as it did thousands of years ago with religion. You know, one of the greatest, one of the other great um, conceptions of the afterlife, not necessarily hell, but hellish, um, is found in this, I, th- I think I've mentioned it before, a Joyce Carol Oates short story called Nightside, where there's this um, seance and like the spirits that are contacted are like all freaked out because there's no, it's all just chaos. Nobody, I think they keep saying like no one's in charge and like the, everything's just out of order. Um, and it's a really like unsettling Read like Joyce Carol Oates is so good with horror, but that that particular one is super disturbing. I, I highly recommend everybody reading it. Yeah, and if you want to see a fun take on the afterlife, watch uh, the great Albert Brooks movie, Defending Your Life. Oh my God, that is such a great movie! One of the all-time great sleeper films it ever. Is wonderful, so good. Yeah, that's a good. That's a treat right there, Chuck. Good for you. The great Albert Brooks. Uh, yep. Well, since Chuck can't stop talking about Albert Brooks, <laughs> uh, I think that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, fun fact, a lot of people know this. Albert Brooks, born Albert Einstein. No. Yes. No. Yes, brother of Super Dave Osborne. I guess I I had known that, but only when Super Dave died recently, right? Uh, Yeah, he did die. Their birth name was Einstein? Mm-hmm. I think, wow, I mean, I think Super Dave Osborne was... Super Dave Einstein? No, I think it was Bob Einstein. Isn't that his real <laughs> name? I don't know. I think so. I don't know. That, but that, he's like from the Larry Bud Melman era of Letterman. Isn't he? Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Oh, yeah. So if you want to know more about hell, just start sending your A off and you'll find out about it soon enough. And like I said, since Chuck keeps talking about Albert Brooks, it's time for a listener mail. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call this uh, one of our great senior listeners. Uh, and this uh, this lady is from Australia. Hello, guys. I'm an 80-year-old woman in aged care. My life was very mundane 
and quite boring. I finally bought a mobility scooter now, uh, and I could get out and ride the wonderful pathways and visit the shops. Uh, my son Robert thought I needed more interest, so he hooked my phone up to Josh and Chuck Podcasts. Nice. Wow. All capitals. How I love riding around on my scooter and listening to your wonderful humor and mostly interesting things, in quotes. <laughs> I love it. So perhaps she even has the book. Uh, I have learned so much about everything. Love uh, Elvis visiting Nixon for a narc badge, building Boulder Dam, Francis Perkins, etc. Just everything, guys. Keep up the good work. Cheers from Glinda on the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Very nice. That was Glenda, right? Yeah, just love hearing from Glenda. She's great. Thank you, Glenda. Yeah, I think Glenda should write in every once in a while to say hi and talk about her favorite recent episodes. I would love what that. What do you think? Yep. Well, Glenda, if you're listening, please do that. And was her son Richard? Uh, Robert. Robert. Robert, thank you for turning your mom on to stuff you should know. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to talk about how you turn somebody on to stuff you should know, we would love to hear about that. That's great. You can write us in an email, wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.